Wave Radio. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible, and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited, adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. All right, I've got a great episode for you here today, which is actually a part one interview. But before we get going, I do have to thank Patreon subscriber Jesse Marquez. Thank you very much, Jesse. Hope you're enjoying the uh, the backlog of episodes I have on Patreon. I think we're about, like I said, up to 80 or so. For those of you interested, you can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. And if you are unable to donate, I'm still cool with that. I'm just happy to have you listening, and maybe if a friend or a family member of yours might like an episode that I did, just throw the suggestion out there. That is appreciated as well. Reviews will be read at the end of this episode, and what this episode is about, it is John Captain III, and it is a part one, part two episode. This is part one, obviously. John Captain is the guy who was dating Tiffany Jenks when she was killed. In part one, we talk about how the family reacted, how he reacted. We do go down the rabbit hole when it comes to MK Ultra mind control stuff. I will say that right now. Now, I know a lot of you aren't into this kind of thing and you think it's all crazy and conspiracy theories and blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal. Go look up the Rockefeller Commission. MK Ultra really happened. Project Monarch really happened. All documented fact, it's some pretty wild stuff. So I ask my listeners to keep an open mind, listen to what John has to say. For those of you who are interested in the subject a little bit more, I do advise you to go get a book by Tom O'Neill, and it is called Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. And this is one of these books that will help shed more light on this topic. Now, I'm not going to lie, a lot of information in there. But with that being said, in the part two interview that me and John have, uh, that's the interview where we go over a lot of the audio clips, kind of go like do a play-by-play while we're listening to them, stuff like that. Uh, We talk about other various things as well. So... This is part one of my interview with John Captain III. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. And we are going to revisit the Tiffany Jenks case with John Captain III. Uh, For those of you who remember that, that is my highest downloaded episode. I urge you to go back and listen to that before you listen to this. Although we are going to give, John's going to give a brief overview of the case for those of you who have forgotten. Welcome, John. Been a while, man. Yes, thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. So, um, there's, for some odd reason, man, in the last year, there's been a lot of stuff going on 
with uh, the Tiffany Jenks case and her name's out there a lot more now, which means that your name is out there a lot more as well. For the listeners, can you just tell us who you are real quick and and why you're associated with this case? Yeah, sure. I dated Tiffany prior to her murder, and um, Tiffany was 35. I was 45 at the time, and we both lived here in Portland, Oregon. Prior to her murder, uh, she had kind of disappeared, actually, for about a two-month period, and I never really knew exactly where she was or what she was doing, but we had broken up you know, on several occasions due to what I thought was her drinking. But prior to her murder, she had started to confide in me many things that she was going to be killed or she was going to die and just things that were very odd to me. You have no idea who I am. And when you find out, I hope you have a newfound respect for why I never told you. And uh, I didn't know what had happened, you know, for the last two months. But then uh, on one Tuesday, I believe Tuesday or Wednesday um, of October 7th, 2013, she came here told me people were going to kill her and then uh, left here and went to die. And which is odd. But um, so I learned along the way that what was happening in this case was um, clearly uh, not true where they weren't telling the public what was true and the media wasn't. And, and they were leaving about half the story out for some reason. And everybody just kept telling me, Oh, John, don't worry. That's just the way they do these cases, which of course, if you're the public, you've never probably had experience with police or murder. And so along the way, I was dealing with the idea that maybe they were never going to tell the truth or get justice. So I was going back and forth with the family about what facts were being told and how the police were lying. And so I was telling them I wanted more information about the case that they were holding as a family member. Um, of course, when you're dead, somebody's dead, the family keeps their information and they don't know who killed her is fine. So they could have said that uh, towards me. But they finally had given me some passwords to her iCloud account, and um, that kind of broke the story in terms of what you see in the news that's important or, or the, um, in terms of what I have on YouTube is that Tiffany had recorded herself um, talking prior to her murder, and about seven or eight months after the murder, I got those recordings off of my uh, phone that she had in mind. And I think that's where the whole story starts, really, as opposed to normally you'd think that that's where it ends, but it's not. So. And just for a brief reintroduction, tell us about the events that transpired on that night and early that morning on the 8th. Okay. So the storyline as it goes is forever changing. In my opinion, what the police did was interview me in order to fill the narrative, what the public would hear. But the initial report was on the news on October 8th that there was a woman found dead at Blue Lake Park. Now, I didn't know about this case or this murder because I was still sleeping. It was the morning. And then at noon, it came on the news again. And then that night, which was the 8th, almost night, the 9th of October, but it was the 8th, I got a phone call from somebody who said that, um, John, have you seen Tiffany? And I'm like, no, why? And she said, this is a girl named Mercedes. And she said to me that, you know, that she came to the bar last night, Tiffany, and she said she was going to die. And then the bartender turned around, she was gone. And then I guess there was a news brief that there was somebody dead at Blue Lake Park that matched her description. And on the phone while I was talking to the girl, Mercedes, she had went to Tiffany's iCloud, or excuse me, Tiffany's Facebook, and seen that she had rest in peace on her account, because apparently her family had already been notified. So she tells me on the phone as we're speaking, and, and that there's this murder, and I went over to my computer on my desk, it's about 11 at night or 12 at night, and I read the number in this article that she was referring to, and I told her to hold on, and I clicked over on a three-way call and called the police unbeknownst to her, I didn't tell her why. So 
as the police answered, I told them, hey, this is the ex-boyfriend of Tiffany, and I don't know what's going on, but I've got this girl on the other line, and she's at the bar, and she says that Tiffany was there last night saying she was going to die. And so they said, hold on, sir, slow down. So I, okay, let me respray. Let me say it again. My ex-girlfriend, who I guess is dead, I don't even know, I don't remember exactly how I said it. I know I was just crying and freaking out. And I repeated it. And then at some point, after telling her my information, I clicked back with the other person on the line, and the girl gave the address to the bar. Now, at that point, I didn't know one thing at all. And so at some point that night, now it's the 9th of October, a cop calls me on the phone and says, hey, can I come over? And I said, sure. So this officer Johnson comes to my place. And at the same time, the police had gone to the bar where we gave the address to, to the 911 call. And then when the police went there, they found information that led them to what you would think would have been people that went to jail for a murder because um, it shows them all talking and leaving in the car. And then it shows that she was dead at 2.30 in the morning after they drove her away to a local park, which is called Blue Lake Park here near Portland, Oregon. And so based on the timeline, uh, the CCTV footage, which is um, magically counts one, two, three, 24, 25. I'm, I'm not sure why, but the police seem to give me the uh, correct one they wanted to. But anyways, the CCTV footage shows that she went to the car at 211 and they drove away with these three killers. And then somehow between the time they left and 19 minutes later, two people reported it that she was that there was a gun that went off. And the next morning she was found dead. And the three killers that were supposedly taken into custody 10 days later, they, they didn't even know she was dead. They apparently just went to the park to go target shooting with this new gun and they didn't know where she was. But they didn't have enough information to arrest them. So the police went ahead and let them get out of jail or, you know, leave on their own without without an arrest. And then uh, magically they went to get married, which is weird. Then when they finally hammered it to them, they they said, oh, that they admitted they sold the gun to the shooter, who's in California. So police run to California, interview him, and he admits he did shoot her, but he tells a lot more than just that. And in the end, he goes to prison, and the two that probably caused the murder got out of jail already, which is not surprising, but uh, they got out of jail already, and uh, they're enjoying life. And, and that's the gist of the story. Uh, the technical part, of course, is a little more complex, but... And the plea agreement that he got was, what, 18 years, I think? Yeah. The, the main part of it is is that when the police told him what a thrill kill was, um, and for those people that don't really understand Oregon law, which um, is most people, I hope, is that uh, Oregon law says, you know, when you murder somebody, you're going to get the death penalty, which I find unfortunate because now that I was involved in getting set up on this murder, actually, I wouldn't want the death penalty wished on anybody. But initially everybody thinks, okay, well, he shot her. It's over and done. So he gets the death penalty for murder. And there's no leeway because we have Measure 11, which was a, you do the crime, you do the time. But if the judge doesn't really charge you with that, they can charge you with anything they want. So what they had to do was the police had to be creative and come up with a way to say, you know, there was a reason to kill her. If there's absolutely no reason, like if, that, or if there was a reason, like premeditated murder for a conspiracy where they're paid money, that would have been quite different because that would have been, you know, manslaughter, not manslaughter, but it would have been murder. But in order to achieve the goal of getting them off of murder charges, which carries the death penalty, they needed to make the claim that, well, they just got mad at her or they were just pissed. So somewhere between 2.11 in the morning when they drove her away, when everybody is presumably happy and they're getting in the car happy, maybe when they passed her hotel room where they said they were taking her, she became angry and then they had no other choice but to kill her. And so within that 19-minute period, 
if we back out the 16-minute drive, it took them about three minutes to determine there was no other option but to murder her. And so therefore, the police promoted the idea that it was a thrill kill slash she yelled at them. So it didn't qualify for regular murder charges, which, of course, we both know is insane. Yeah, and then they said, uh, what was it, that it was just a, a random, random act? Like they just randomly picked her? Sure, and there, there, there's important reason for that. If you murder somebody that you know and you get paid money, you're done for. You're going to go to prison for life. But if you don't know the person and they're just a random person that yelled at you or called you a name and you just went ahead and pulled out that new gun you just bought that you took off the serial numbers that day across state line to use, by gosh, then it's no problem. You can get away with it. But if they, if they knew her, they were in trouble. Tell us how everything went after the murder, the interaction between you and her family, because there's a lot of there's a lot of bad blood there. Yeah, sure. Well, um, initially, their claim was is that they didn't know who did it. So therefore, they you know, didn't want to buddy up to me, which I can totally relate. I had no problem at all. And so that night when I called the police and the police came here, Officer Johnson, it was four years later, by the way, that I saw his police report that contained four lies in it. And that's kind of scary in itself. But in terms of her family goes, I called her sister immediately when I found out that Tiffany was dead and said, hey, I have clues, call me. And then next I heard on the news that her sister was pointing the finger at me. And I said, hey, I never hit your sister. Duh. Anyways, they call me. And then the police called me and told me not to call them, which I did not ever again. And then it wasn't more than, oh, a month or less than a month, actually, uh, November 26th. And she was dead October 8th. So uh, about you know, a little over a month that I got an email from her mother who apparently said, well, I was tired of my sister talking to him. So I started talking to him. And uh, so her mom emails me a big email of sorry, blah, blah, blah. and then a series of what I would call setups happened after that, where they'd be like, what do you think we should invest our money in? And I'm like, that's weird. So actually I was just going over today, the original emails that I received. And you know, if your daughter's dead, you would probably want to know what happened. And so then, therefore, like all the stuff that I had as information, I was giving to the family, of course, and to the uh, gentleman who was her ex-roommate, which is Rick. And when you give them the information, you expect them to probably tell the police, right? Because I don't have contact with police. And in fact, the entire investigation never really happened. But what happened was the night that cop came that talked to me, he says, well, I'm not the investigator. They'll be here tomorrow. So when they did come, they said, um, okay, what happened? I told them. And, and uh, I later watched it on the ID Discovery show. I don't know if you saw that show, but there's an ID Discovery, Tiffany Jenks show. And, and the police said, yeah, well, he didn't really act like he cared. He wasn't upset or anything. And, and he said he wanted a warrant for all his stuff. And I can't help but think that the public should be wiser than that because, I mean, they're the ones here to investigate a murder with guns. I don't, I don't have a gun. I'm just me. And if I had evidence of murder and they don't get a warrant, you should be asking them why. But they had said that she had left bags in my place, which was certainly not true. But the uh, exchange of information back and forth I didn't know was detrimental to the case because what they were really doing was trying to figure out how they're going to tell the public and uh, me what happened in the case. And so they didn't tell anything for quite some time. And uh, most people would say, well, it's a murder. They shouldn't. But regardless, the story that they did tell uh, was actually force created. They had no choice but to create it. And, and I can explain to you how that went down. But, but in terms of the family goes, uh, went back and forth for about 200 emails until such time, as I said, 
uh, I got the password from her, from her mother, uh, to Tiffany's iCloud account. And from there, I proceeded to get into, with Apple's help, into the iCloud account, which they said was completely deleted out two days before she was dead, oddly enough. And then, but what didn't get erased was my iTunes, which apparently iCloud is in the sky and iTunes is in your own computer at home. And so they had no way to delete mine. It wasn't online. And so because we had family share and because Tiffany had my cell phone, I got access to the phone in theory based, based on rebuilding it uh, to her account because her mom gave me the passwords. Thank God. And then because of that, and they knew the iCloud was gone already, so why wouldn't they give me the passwords? But because I did get into the iCloud, here were six recordings that were made days before she was dead, and all of them matter in terms of her murder. Going back, can you elaborate on the lies that were that you mentioned in the police report? Yes. The first night that the police came, and this is really important because when you are a subject of questioning for murder, when somebody you love dies, you don't think that, first of all. I never had any clue that they were talking to me and like I possibly could have done it because I don't murder people. But in their eyes, just from a cop standpoint, of course, the ex-boyfriend is the first one you want to look at. Fine. No problem. But the officer said, um, John Captain said that we did not have that he did not have sex with Tiffany. Now that's pretty significant because of the fact that if somebody's dead, the first thing they're gonna check is to see if they had sex before they were dead, right? So it was weird that he said that when I told him uh, I did have sex with her that night. And in fact she said, Let's have sex tear my clothes off. And I said, Tiffany, that's not gonna happen. But it's weird that she said it, you know, it was like weird. But regardless is that we did. And then the police said that Mercedes called the police when it comes down to the fact that um, I'm the one that dialed 911. And the importance of that is if you read their opening statements and all these police reports, it says killers don't call the police. They just avoid them. And so on one hand, they're saying how important it is that they get the right person who called because normally people who commit crimes don't tell them themselves. And so in the first page of all the police reports, it talks about the importance of the fact that they have to go after killers because killers don't call police. So the point was, I called 911, I talked to them first, told them what happened, and then I clicked on the, the girl on the other line. And so some people might like to make a big deal about the idea that, um, that I make a big deal about the fact that I called police. But the reason why is because if you are involved in a murder, normally you wouldn't call the police on yourself, that just wouldn't make sense. But even if I did, I called the police and the, and the report should reflect that. And it was odd to me that the officer lies. Now, in addition to that, in the police report, now keep in mind, this was written sometime early, early in the investigation. Now, I would assume he wrote it before he went home that night on the 9th, um, would have been early morning of the 9th. And that police report had some timeline events that are then set in stone. I wasn't able to see that report for four years. And most of the police reports that I did want to see about me, they wouldn't give me until I got lawyers to get them. And they also said that um, even though I couldn't have them for the first four years that then it was too late to get them. They expired. I'm like, I didn't get to look at them ever, but uh, you know, they, they kind of do that. And when I contacted the Portland police review board to talk about the lies in this uh, police report that was written about me, I wanted it corrected. And they said uh, in two different letters, basically, no, we're not going to help you and too bad. And so, you know, that's not really independent, but, but when the police report was written on the ninth, it locked in something that's really key to this whole case. And that is that, they knew the bartender had said Tiffany was going to die. She, it says in here she was very upset. Let me read the exact words here. It says, the bartender says that Jenks seemed very upset and was saying something to the effect that it may be the end of my life, and she did not know what was going to happen to her. Now, 
why that's so important is, is that you've then set a precedent that it's possible that she knew she was going to die based upon those notes. And I told the police as well that she told me she was going to die. So that's two people. And then I learned later that the uh, Chevron gas station had said when Tiffany went there that the killers were parked in their lot and followed her out of the parking lot. And they said, told me that uh, only about two years ago. So they're about five years after she was dead, they told me. So they probably did tell the police because they were there, knew she had bought some beer there. But what's important about the fact that she knew she was going to die is that there was a big flip and in the case. And that was that they were going along and they were still, in my opinion, setting me up on this murder as if I was going to be the killer. And so that's why he said she was going to die that night at the bar and everybody admitted it. But then on the 10th, a problem happened. A local media outlet in Kelso, Washington, that's one hour from Portland, had gotten secretly the fact that the killers were in Kelso, which is, like I said, one hour from Portland's little town. And because they printed that in the paper, the Fairview Police Department were like, holy crap, because they'd waited 10 days to arrest, right? So they had to figure out, how are we going to tell the public why we didn't arrest these killers when day one we knew who they were? We were going to still set John up even after they knew who they were. Okay, so let's make up a story that we went up there earlier, but we didn't have enough information to arrest them. And let's say that then they came cross border state line, cross state line and turned themselves in. Then they can go get married so they won't have to testify against each other. And we'll just say they were going to buy a gun and sell or sell a gun. And uh, so the story was just absurd. But keep in mind, the media, and that's why you'll see in the ID discovery show, the officer goes, well, I was about 11 o'clock and I was going to call it a night. No, that's not how it happened. You saw it on the 11 o'clock news and you were screwed and you had to rush up to Kelso with my arrest warrant, by the way, with all the word changed to meet the new arrest warrant, which was for them. That's why if you read the police report about the arrest warrants, uh, you can go to uh, Tiffany Jenks documents, WordPress and read it. That's why the um, documents are about me. There's nine page uh, arrest warrant for the killers and not one, one thing in there is about them. It's all about me. And so if you wonder why, that's why they had to rush up there and, and immediately file some papers because the public was like, why are these killers in our town? And so they subsequently made the rest after letting them cross the state line and, and whatnot. But uh, that's how that transpired as far as what the police came to see me. And they wrote the report, John, John, John. And then afterwards, it was like, she knew she was going to die. And then later, oh, she didn't know at all. This is just random killing. So that's how that all thing, uh, the reason behind why they, why they did what they did. So tell me about the point where you heard the recordings and you're like, what the heck is going on? Like, something's not right here. Something doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, you know, to me, I'm a thinker in terms of like, what is going on anyways, naturally. I mean, I've been around people. I've, you know, some people are introverts, whatever. I know a lot of people. So I'm always constantly going, what is up with this person, you know, or whatnot. But this was really weird and I'd never been around a murder. But I will say, as a high school dropout, I was able to go to college for free and I uh, went to four years of criminal justice. So I was familiar with the idea that people should be honest when there's been a murder, I would think. But in this case, everybody was lying, including the police, and I just couldn't figure out why. And everybody was trying to tell me, oh, that's how it works. You know, they'll just work, work through that. But I was investigating all along since the murder started, and I told her mother day one when, I, when she contacted me in, in uh, November 26, and I told her, Tiffany set me up on this murder. And she says, uh, John, I, you don't seem stable right now. You need to take some medication. And she gave me like three names of medications she thought I should take. But uh, regardless, um, I do believe that Tiffany was setting me up, but I couldn't understand why. And I couldn't understand why it was that what was going on. So I started, kept investigating. 
and everybody told me not to, and I didn't care. So then I had all these other people that they sent into my life to help me investigate, which was a distraction to say the least. But as I was investigating, I got into her iCloud and it was gone, like I said. And then the, the, but the iTunes, I put the applications back on the phone. That's after Apple said, there's nothing there. They can't help me. When I put the applications, the program themselves back onto the phone, in audio note were six recordings which I didn't know what audio note was or whatever. I just put the applications that had been purchased prior on the phone again and based on iCloud backup or excuse me, iTunes backup. When I did, because we had family share, it populated six audio recordings. And I'm listening to these recordings and I'm going, that's weird, that's weird, that's weird. And I didn't understand what it was, but I knew it was really weird, you know, to say the least. And then um, I think maybe a couple girls that I know told me that was like, I don't know if they use the word satanic, but they use the word like occult maybe or something like that. So then it wasn't more than about, you know, by the way, I told her family I had these recordings. And then that was when they kind of flipped and said, um, do you know that Tiffany was a police informant against you? And then her mom says, uh, we know everything. And so it's like weird. Oh, by the way, we have a video of you having sex with some girl. And I kept going, oh, yeah, here's another one. Uh, on Sunday, July 20th, okay, were you secret recording her? The DA and Rick know everything. That's her mom to, to me. John, we have no files, no computer, no phones, so stop asking. And it's like, um, weird. Take control of your life and go see your mother. You're writing like a person descending into madness, but you can't see it. At the very least, take your medication and stop blaming us. You have no idea what we went through. You made bad choices. Bottom line was that it was all weird. Before that, it was, oh, John, we want you in our family. Come for Christmas to the ranch. And I'm like, going, oh, first of all, I don't go to the ranch with people. I've been killed somebody. Or, I mean, people that are involved in murder. I mean, sorry. But uh, it was all weird. I got the recordings, and I didn't know what they meant. And then what happened was is that, oddly enough, I was eating breakfast at a restaurant called TikTok here in Portland. And sitting in the booth next to me was a guy. I never met him, by the way. And he was talking about a radio show he had. And I said, excuse me you have a radio show? What is it? He goes, it's paranormal, Clyde Lewis, you know, whatever. And I said, Hey, listen to this. Would you? And I just went right to his booth and said, handed my phone and said, listen to this. And he started listening to it. And, and, uh, his mouth dropped and he was in awe. He was in complete awe. He said, you know what that is? And I said, no, what is that crap? And he goes, it's mind control. And I, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. It was just like, he was really scared and tripped out. He said he'd never been like that before. And so later that night, he does a show and he later named it grasping at broken straws in terms of the whole, the entire thing. But at, at about 50 minutes in to the show, he begins to talk about meeting me and saying that I met this guy at breakfast and he had these recordings of his girlfriend. And as he was talking to me, he learned that it was the murder. That was a high profile case here in Portland and that the girl died at Blue Lake Park in the recordings. There were people talking about vampires and just really crazy stuff, which I had no knowledge of. And uh, he said that they were dark, occult, whatever. And, and about halfway through the show, he calls me on my cell phone. And he goes, hey, John. I'm like, yes. Why you didn't tell me she's in the Illuminati? I said, what is that? I said, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? And so he goes, I'll call you later. And he does the rest of his show, and he calls me and explains later. So then the next day, I had heard that word that he just said, which I never knew of it at all. And I asked uh, the uh, Powell's Bookstore, which is a very famous bookstore here in Portland, that the question mark booth where books on that was and the author called me on the phone of all these books so i just talked talked to him on the phone and he had found out about my case and called me and i asked him if i could show him all of uh the stuff i had for tiffany so i go over to his place he's he's in oregon you know about a half hour from here and show him the stuff 
I think it was the next day, of Tiffany. And, and, um, and now at this point, I still don't know anything. I just know what she said. It just didn't make sense to me at all. What a fallen angel or, you know, any of this weird stuff she was talking about. But he goes, she's a monarch slave for the New World Order. I said, what is that? It's a mind control victim for the New World Order. And then it was about a month after that that I told him that she ran 38 dams in a nuclear power plant for the U.S. government and that she was going to be killed or she wanted to die at that before she was murdered. I said that. And he told me that, um, yeah, they kill them off when they don't do what they're told. And I was like, holy crap. That would make perfect sense why they're all lying about this case. So when you got this knowledge and you started looking into all this, was your mind just completely blown? I mean, were there things that you couldn't fully grasp or believe yourself before you started getting into it? I I didn't believe any of it. I don't believe in conspiracy theories at all. And I sure as heck didn't take the time to ever listen to them because I don't care. I have a business to run. I've had many different businesses and I've worked my whole life every minute. I don't do conspiracy theories, period. But if you want to call it a conspiracy theory, you can, but I don't know why, because it's a murder. Now, does it happen to have proof that some of this stuff exists? Yes. So you could look at it from the other side and say, well, it is a conspiracy theory in terms of what they want you to call it. But to me, it's girl got shot. Everybody's lying. I have evidence of the doctor talking to her about this crazy stuff and putting her into some kind of trance and her voice changing like a child. And he tells her not to talk to me about anything or she'll be a target and targets get shot at first. And then, yeah. Five days later, she was shot, and I knew the police were lying, but I didn't know why. So I was really, 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 really confused about all the stuff. I must have had thousands of pages already, and I have everything on the board, and multiple boards, rather, and I would lay out exactly what she said, what we know, what was true, and what we learned along the way. And unfortunately, they had sent a lot of, uh, I would call them honeypots or these different girls into my office, right, which I'm a sucker for. I didn't know they even existed at that point. When I learned about mind control, they certainly all scattered. So then it was a little easier for me to understand. But, you know, once I learned about mind control, that like, okay, John, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but when you don't know about that stuff, if you think about the use of mind control itself, I mean, they could send, but send a girl into a guy's place and who's weak like me, and they could just, you know, burn him up. I mean, they literally could just take him and make him a whatever they want. And then in the end, you're like, wait a minute, what just happened here? You know? And so oh, yeah. they were definitely doing that. And that's when I finally got fed up and I said, you know what? You guys are all, well, actually I went to court with her family and that's one of the reasons why I ended up leaving because I couldn't understand how they got all my stolen documents and she knew what I was going to say in the court. I'm like, how did, I said to the judge, how does she know what I'm going to ask you in advance? How? It was almost like she was here in my office. I wrote this stuff down on pen. It ain't in the computer. How'd she know? Oh, okay. Now I see mm-hmm. they had people in my office. And so you can't get a fair court case. So I ended up leaving the country for two and a half years and really just focusing on this case where I was able to put my thoughts without anybody interjecting their thoughts, you know? Yeah, for sure. What were some of the things that, because I know her family did a couple of odd things after her death and everything like that. What were some of those things and what were your thoughts on it? I mean, was that the only reason that you decided to leave the country for a couple of years? No, I left the country because I needed to process what all I had been through and I needed, I think my mom had died too. That was a big part. But, um, so in 2014, but I think I really needed to figure out what this world really is. You know I mean? When you're subjected to this idea that everything's kind of fake in a way, like, you know, you work Mm -hmm. hard and you pay your money to the government and then the police fail you a hundred percent for murder of your loved one that's hard to get over in, in your mind. You're going like, I told you everything. And then you, you turned around and used that 
as a as a lie in order to get away from murder. That's just insane. But I think that in order to process what had happened, in order to come up with a reasonable storyline as to what exactly transpired, I needed to get away from people telling me what had transpired. You know, because I would say a clue like Tiffany's sister drove her dead body to Burns, Oregon, from Portland, Oregon, five hours in their car, and you're thinking to yourself, how in the heck? In America. Yeah, how did that happen? Do you put them in a seatbelt? I mean, seriously, like what possible reason would a dead body be in your car for five hours? That I don't know. And why would they tell me, right? They certainly wish they hadn't. I, I guarantee you that. But at that time I wasn't yeah. out there speaking about it. You know, I wasn't telling people about the case because I didn't know there was a reason to. I was going along with the story that it would be solved and don't worry, John, over and over. We want you and the family come to the ranch and learn how to spell, they said. But I wasn't at the ranch and I was still trying to process what they were telling me. And I knew for sure they were lying at that point. I knew for sure because even with Tiffany's old boss at work, I met with him and he was, uh, had the same job as her at the dams. And I met with him for lunch one day and I said, here's some of the clues, take a look. And I said, you know, do you think her family's involved in this? Because she did tell me they sold her will money. And he goes, Oh no, 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 no. And, but he was real adamant. No, it wasn't like an investigative, not sure. No. But when I showed him the clues to the murder, that are just facts you can't deny, like, for instance, that um, the killers crossed state line and they took off the show numbers that day and then were circling my store on the video and the police didn't get that video. Why? I don't know. But I told that friend of hers stuff like that and he didn't say it was a clue or a fact that, you know, would be advantageous for this investigation. So I knew that all of these people were of the same same cult, I guess you'd say. And by the way, cult just means mm -hmm. a group of people with a common belief they can believe in you know Mickey Mouse or or God or whatever they want doesn't matter, but that particular group, I just call them them. When I say the word them, I mean them all, and they mm -hmm. can have whatever beliefs they want, but it didn't coincide with what I thought was a clue. Like you don't drive a dead body back in your car, and so that was a weird one. And then her mom emailed me a photo of Tiffany dead. I guess to prove she was dead. I'm not really sure why she did that, but um, that was pretty heartbreaking. I remember I didn't look at it and I apparently I forwarded it to somebody and I didn't look at it and I didn't I don't remember today who I did but they still have it they said so that's really weird I don't go around emailing dead bodies to people um but as time went by I had stopped talking to them once that it was clear they were um oh, I know what it was Rick Lovett had called the called my lawyers and said I will talk to you at I'll talk to you and John at your office now keep in mind my lawyer is like 500 an hour right so here I'm paying for Rick to talk to my lawyer, which I never gave him permission to, but he likes to run up my money and run bills up on me. But Rick calls my lawyer and then he wants to meet as long as it doesn't include cyber thefts. And I'm like, Rick, Tiffany's dead. Her therapist words were found in an investigation for murder. I don't really get your idea of cyber thefts, but if you want to protect the therapist, that's your choice. But I saw a cyber theft. Her mom gave me the passwords and she's dead. So nice try. Going back, I'm just going to tell the, the listeners right now, like if you think Project Monarch and MKUltra and stuff like that is just conspiracy theory nonsense, you're wrong. Like it's literally documented proof it was government projects. So for all of all those people who are sitting there in the back of their minds like Project Monarch, mind control, man, bunch of conspiracy theory nonsense – now, it's not. Like, they did it. They spent years and years and years doing this. So, just keep that in mind going forward. And I'd got to ask, who is 
uh, Rick Levette, where does he come into play? Well, he was the only person that I knew that Tiffany knew. Um, she had moved out of his home and then moved here. But Tiffany lived uh, in his house for the 11 months prior to her death, or excuse me, the 11 months prior to her living here with me. They supposedly weren't dating that she was just living there because he was a safe house, as he calls it. But um, at that time, you know, later I realized that she had 12 suicide attempts for at the emergency room uh, that her insurance had paid that she wanted to die. And she always kind of alluded to that idea that she wanted to die when I met her before, prior to me meeting her, she was telling me, and I didn't really understand what reason she would want to die. And which was kind of the reason why we ended up going to Thailand together on a vacation. But um, I never really knew anybody that generally wanted to die. And I thought to myself, you know, why would, why would this person who spent so much time going to school, which I really um, admired of her because I never went to school, you know, I, I just thought it was great. And uh, I thought that why is she wasting her life? And I just did not get the rest of the story. But yeah, she had lived with Rick Lovett for the 11 months before me. And during that time, she was completely messed up. I didn't know her at that time, by the way. I met her um, September. Oh, it is another weird thing. I met her September 21st, which was the Monday after the Blues Festival here in Portland, because she said she had come from there. She was staying downtown. And when I met her, and how I met her was is that she was waiting for the person that rents a house for me in the back of my buildings. And she was waiting on his back porch and she started talking to my staff and then my staff was walking around and then they went in the store together because it was about to open. She wanted to check it out. And then I met her that way. The, the idea that the ID discovery says where she was wandering around some night at uh, in Portland and heard loud music. I have a gate all the way around my house and it's not possible to hear from the street. And second of all, you can't get in my property. So it's not possible. And um, they said she was wandering around by herself at night and just randomly walked in. That's not how it happened. Like I said, she was talking to my staff and then they went into my store and he, she was waiting for the guy in the house that, were, that rented the house and she was AA friends with him. Like me and you had been talking and um, I, I saw his website today. I just randomly looked it up. I was sending a couple links to a friend of mine. You know, I was like, I was like, who is this person? And like, why does he have this whole website dedicated to the straight facts of the case? And da 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 da. <laughs> I mean, you read through the comments, and you can tell some people are just kind of like, okay, dude, yeah, like, there's more to it than this, you know, obviously. Yeah. And yeah, me and you were talking before we uh, beforehand about the fact that when you started coming out and saying all this stuff that you had found and all this stuff, people always are getting threatened to get sued. People are always slandering, slandering you. And I told you about an email that I received and this guy was just basically talking about how you were crazy, this, that, and the other, you're a horrible person, da, 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 da. And I told this, I told this individual, I was like, you know, the guy has provided me with videos and pictures of every single thing that he's said. You're not providing me with anything. So as a logical person, I'm a very logical person, and I base my opinion on the facts and evidence presented. You know, I was like, where does that leave you compared to him right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Totally. Yeah, these people are, they, first of all, Nobody can, nobody, as a Native American, right, nobody's going to tell me when I can and can't speak. And so when I did get, I, I think we brought this up earlier, when I did get a court order to shut up about this case, which they call it uh, elderly person restraining order, uh, restraining order, right, which you can look it up if you just type in K.J. versus John S. Captain III for the Oregon Court of Appeals. But her mother got a restraining order against me illegally, 
And they obtained that illegally by lying. And Rick Lovett, her, her and him both, but she got the order because she was elderly, which she had been elderly for 30 days before the order, which meant that she could get a special order, only in Oregon, where elderly people get protected from confrontations. Well, um, it had to prove that I was abusive to her. And as the Court of Appeals points out, the um, definition of abuse is not what is received by the person receiving it, but rather by what was said by the person saying it. And so the case was clearly reversed. But um, what matters most is that not only were they able to obtain an illegal order to shut me up about the case, but that in the initial request for restraining order, uh, you know, she's laughing at the ju- judge and her laughing, but, you know, and by the way, they're removing my rights as a human, but uh, they're trying to say that I can't go to the courthouse for Tiffany's murder, which, of course, I am a witness because Tiffany told me she was going to die, making me a witness. And, um, and so it was quite odd they got an order in the first place, but more importantly, that it held up through two different um, hearings. I asked them to remove the order because it wasn't legal based on many things. One being an example is that in Oregon, you have to hold a hearing within 21 days. And at the 45th day, I emailed them and said, sorry, but too late. You can't hold a hearing now. It's over. She has to reapply, which she wouldn't, wouldn't qualify because we had no contact after that. But uh, they said, too bad. We're going to hold a hearing anyway, illegally. So they did. And then um, they upheld that they had a restraining order against me. And then a year went by and I said, well, too bad. It's over now. Right. And so it could have been a year and two months after I told them. And they said, nope, too bad, we're renewing it, even though that's illegal. And so, you know, they, these people have power. They had the power to hold all the hearings, and I have ADHD and dyslexia, so I asked for my ADA rights for a note-taker, which they didn't know what that meant, I guess. And so we went round and round about that until the Department of Justice made them give me my note-taker. It's funny, too, because now when I sent my evidence in, in the case, the court in Harney County re- returned my packet and says, we won't facilitate your mail. Well, I can't contact the other person, her mom. So what am I supposed to do, right? I have to give her a copy. So I had an envelope all ready to mail with a post note that said drop in the mail, postage paid. And the post and the courts took out a big envelope, sent me back my envelope that she was supposed to drop in the mail for Kate to have a copy and told me we won't facilitate your mail. Okay, great. So that I never got my evidence turned in. They cheat and lie like no other. And and the thing is that should be important is you don't have any constitutional right to speak about a murder when you're a witness, and you don't have any right to stand up to the courts because they have all the power. And really, those people can say whatever they want, and there's no possible way that I can even respond during that two-and-a-half-year period because I had a court order against me. And you're talking about my freedom, right? So I'm, I'm trying to be very careful not to uh, break, break that. And so that went like that until it was reversed by the Court of Appeals. All right, we're going to take a little break here, play some advertisements. You can either hit that fast-forward button or I'll meet you back here in a few minutes. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. So now that things are starting to get back to normal this summer, fall's coming, everyone is traveling again, spending time with friends and family, all that good stuff. One thing that won't change for me is Best Fiends. The only difference now is that I can play it while I'm doing all that other stuff too. I spend all day looking into crimes, strange stuff, history, sometimes the paranormal, UFOs, everything like that. But every now and then I need a break, so when I need that mental palate cleanser, I play Best Fiends. Any age can play. It's a fun, casual game that you can play right on your phone. It's fun for me because it's challenging, and there's so many characters with new levels always popping up, new events, 
coming out every single month so it just never gets old. Whether I just have a spare 15 minutes or just a couple hours to kill. And one of the good things is you don't even need the internet to play. The colors are amazing and keep your attention. And all these characters can power up and get better abilities and you can try to match which of those characters are best for each level. You can also see your rank against all your friends too. I'm up to level 225 and it's so fun it really didn't take me long to get there. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. And trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5 star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Let's go back a little bit. When you started finding out all this information, like you had said earlier, you're a very logical person and you're not a conspiracy theory type person either. When you started finding out all this information, when you looked back, like memory-wise, were there some things that kind of stuck out like, oh man, that makes a little bit more sense, or maybe this is what this situation was, you know, and I thought it was something else back then. Like, were there things from the past that started clicking? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it's true. You can't, I hate to say this, but you can't really have a relationship with somebody who's under mind control because they won't allow it. And I know that in one of her letters, she said, and when this great family found out I was in love, they said, no, no, no. And I had to ruin us just to stay alive. And I remember reading that that time. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? It doesn't even make sense to me. But now it does. Now it does. Because I've never been around anybody who had power over me. I, growing up as a child, I was totally in control of my own presence, my own thoughts, my own actions from very early age. So the idea that an adult 35 years old didn't control her own destiny, if you will, that was really odd to me. So it didn't, didn't resonate. I didn't get what she was trying to get at. I just knew that she said it. And then also some of the stuff that's uh, key to this, you know, you, some people call it co coercive, uh, coercive, whatever. It's like basically mind control. But mm -hmm. is that she didn't, uh, she would disappear for times, like two or three days here and there pretty consistently. But she, she didn't really even quite know where she was. It was weird. And then as far as like acting out here, like during the time in which we dated, which of course we had on and off, so like everybody else, but she would actually become what you would equate to enraged or outraged. She would be like in the weirdest of, uh, you would think it was a, like a weird mood, but she would just start like freaking out completely. And it was generally after a phone call from her family. And I know that sounds really cheesy and weird, but it's true because like, even when we were in Thailand, she woke up in the morning and I have a video of this. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I, I contend it to you. But she says, you're the best person in the world. She wakes up in the morning and we're recording and she says, you're the best person in the world. And I said, the best person in the world. And then we were making a few jokes and it was like that. But then later in that day, uh, about two o'clock in the afternoon, she has to get a phone. And I had a cell phone already, right? With a Thai uh, SIM card in it. But she has to have her own phone. And so she goes to 7-Eleven next to the hotel we're at, and she tries to get a SIM card two or three times and gets really frustrated. Fine. So I go in, and I get – you have to buy a, a SIM card, and then you have to program the money onto the card when you're in a foreign country. So I did that for her, and it worked. And then she makes a phone call to her mother, and then she just absolutely starts freaking out. She has to go home. And I'm like, what the heck? What is your problem? I don't get it. You know, it's only our third day. We, we were in, in a foreign country. We are going to be there for two more weeks. And so – um. Yeah, it was weird because it's all essentially at least. And the, the group that fights me back tried to say, 
and John stole her passport. Well, that's weird. How did she fly then? Which is any possible thing they can make up in order to um, make me look like a clown. They do. But listen, it's not even my story. This is Tiffany's story. So I, every time they put me down, they're really just putting her down. And um, for the people that look into the case, this is her story. It's not mine. I'm just telling you what she said and what she did. She's the one dead. So therefore, you think it'd be weird that they would be um, bad-mouthing the only person telling the truth in the case. But Tiffany definitely did exhibit signs of this uh, mind control stuff, but very few times. And most of them were very odd to the sense that I thought, like, God, what are you, are you setting me up on something? What is your problem? You know, was, I, I didn't really understand it at the time. And, uh, and as far as her knowing she's going to die, that, that is a particularly weird thing because, you know, as the general public would think, it's not something you would believe or hear from somebody. And then it happened. Absolutely. Yeah, that that was one of the weirder things. And on that note, let's talk about that that uh, therapist or that doctor that she had and the, some of the recordings and him talking about her being a target. Like, was this her legit therapist? Because I've heard so many different things about who this doctor actually was. Can you cl- clarify yeah. some of that for us? Sure. Well, I think that the public needs to look at it like this. It really doesn't even matter who it is. It only matters first what he said and is that illegal. Now, anybody that's ever been to therapy knows the idea that the therapists are paid money and you're supposed to get help. And based on that, there are certain rules that apply. For instance, you can't have sex with your therapist or you can't smoke pot with them probably or you can't, you know, there's just different rules based on state law. And so there's a, a very important part of this where they're like, that's not a therapist. Okay, why is that? Well, because then laws apply. Oh, and then what happens? And then they have to investigate. <laughs> so, and their robotic response is very um, clinical. It's like, no, he's not a therapist. Okay, well, you seem pretty adamant about that because she said she was going to therapy with him. He said back when I used to see you as a patient. Okay, that seems like therapy. And he did pay, pay, she did pay him $200. But the state of Oregon didn't feel like investigating this case. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why. And when you talked about that guy who contacted you to badmouth me, I've had so many situations where they know exactly what I'm trying to do. So if I call like the media outlets, immediately their phone rings and, and um, they get told not to help me. But in this case, the state of Oregon wasn't going to help me. And that, that's weird because they have suspended hundreds of doctors for way less than this. And in reviews by, I had done by a guy who teaches the FBI about people who lie or abuse, he said that's the worst case he's ever seen. And uh, that report, I think, is on um, – WordPress documents, Tiffany Jenks. But in the recording, Tiffany is basically saying she's going to die. And he says he's going to watch it with her. And she says it's not going to be like on TV or anything. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. And then he says uh, to her when she says she's going to die, he says, well, then why are you here? I mean, like, so there are rules about therapists. And I don't claim to know them all. But I do know this, that if this was a therapist, he's in trouble. And if it wasn't, if it was just what they say, which Somewhere along the way, they came up with this really good lie or idea. I mean, sorry, it's he's a guru from China and he is not licensed, but but he does have an office near the Jonathan that his Tiffany says his name, Jonathan, in the recording. He has an office near the Jonathan and his name is Jonathan. Rick's not going to say his name because um, he doesn't want the guy to get in trouble. But he did call me to tell me that the same therapist that Tiffany had wrote a book about demons, and by gosh, he put that first chapter on YouTube. And Rick found it, and Rick not only found it, but he found it and called me to tell me. I said, well, your two mind control victims told me that last week, but I told them the same thing I'm going to tell you, which is that I don't believe you. I think the doctor is Jonathan Weedman, and the reason why I think that is because when I did a search 
of all Jonathans in downtown Portland when she died, after I got the recordings, there was only one, and only one near a light rail track, and the only one who has a relative of which happened to come around me after the murder, so I know for sure who it is. And uh, the other guy is some of the extent that the public can look at if they want to check it out. They can go look at the book they wrote. And the guy who they say it is wrote a book about demons, quite odd, and he put that first chapter online with a guest speaker, Jonathan Weedman, speaking, but it's not, and it's written by Jonathan Shell. It's called The Coiled Needle by Jonathan Shell. It's a book. So maybe we could do a book review on that okay. sometimes. But if I was going to write a book about <laughs> demons, and my name was Jonathan Shell, and I had a ventriloquist voice of Jonathan Weedman, of Tiffany's therapist, I would make the whole book about demons and people who come to see me that are crazy, like Tiffany, to justify the actions of what I wrote, what I said when I was being recorded and that John Captain found, and now we're in trouble. So uh, it's quite amazing yeah. if you think about it, what I just said. And what I said was is that Tiffany's doctor is not that person they said. And if it was, then that person wrote a book about demons and he put it on YouTube. Yeah, like why did, uh, why did she feel the need to record? Uh, she, I don't know, actually. She said in the recording with the doctor, and, this, the, the, and by the way, the opposition team, um, which is everybody but me, uh, they really hate the fact that she recorded. And they should, because what it proved was is that this stuff is real, that these people are actually having a war between good and evil, and we're not aware of it. And that in this recording, she says, he says, are you recording? And she said, yes. So why? I don't know. But her iCloud was deleted, so they didn't think I was ever going to get it. And I never knew I was going to get it. But they do a really good comeback. And nice book, by the way, but nice try. One of the funniest things is that I also have people like for the people who have contacted me over the course of the last few years, because that episode is a few years old, you know, for people who have contacted me trying to discredit you and this and that. I've also had people contact me saying I was friends with Tiffany. I saw her going down. I didn't realize what was going on until I found out all this other information. And it makes total sense now. And I know I'm sure you've been in that same position as well. So when you started getting confirmation and other people are like, yeah, man, this makes total sense. Like, here's this, this, this and this, you know, facts. I mean, did that did you feel a little bit relieved that some people believed you? Yeah, you know, luckily for me, I like I, I said, I think I did anyways. I was a DJ my whole life and I owned like little discos and, you know, just little small businesses. And so. I've never been really overly insecure about life, but I do know this, that um, these people have a habit of trying to make you feel like nothing until you give in to them. And um, being that they are promoters of what we see in child abuse in, in terms of uh, sexual child abuse, Tiffany was taught sexual child abuse. And so was uh, the uh, daughter after the murder of uh, Michelle warden Brosey. You have these people that are trying to promote a false reality of that John is crazy and we're telling the truth, so we wrote a book about coiled needle uh, and all that about demons. But yeah, as far as like the idea that people are two pronged, you got people who are abused that talk about it, and some of it is absolutely horrific, and it should be told that you know a lot of these MK Ultra programs are abuse to the highest degree, and a lot of people are searching out why are these people all messed up? You know, these certain groups of people, you know, particular ones, are, you know, people that are homeless, but they're also like just whacked out, and you just don't know who of which one of these people were abused by this uh, program. But after that program ended in 73, you had a lot of people that were coming up with the same exact stories about how they were abused. And 
And, and a lot of them tell exact details in, in terms of, you know, when they first contact me. And it's, it, like I said, it's very horrific. I need to explain it. But I just say this, the strong who are not abused really should wake up and, and, and maybe consider, you know, lending a hand to this concept because I don't think much, many people want the U.S. government involved in any, and I'm not saying Tiffany was involved in that part, the U.S. government part, but I don't think the U.S. government should be hurting its people, and, and certainly they shouldn't be covering up cases of murder, and it takes the strong, me or you, to, to, to try to do the right thing, and as we get knocked down by some of these people, yeah, it gets a little old when people contact you to tell you how stupid you are, but hey, I, I knew that all along. I'm not, I'm not even talking about stupid. I'm talking about a murder. So when they said I couldn't sing, you know, I wasn't really upset about that. And I thought, well, I'm not trying to sing. I'm talking about a murder. So along the way, there's all these nonsense stories that um, come out because I'm trying to stand up for Tiffany. And in that, there's also a lot of people who have contacted me that have been abused by the programs that they are in. And uh, it takes, like Kathy O'Brien is one of the biggest mind control victims that I've talked to many times about Tiffany's case. And Kathy O'Brien, if you don't know, is a self-proclaimed mind control victim who was saved by her husband who was in the CIA. And she talks about, she talked to me and she says, you know what, you're very vulnerable right now and people are going to take advantage of you and people are going to abuse you. So you need to remember who you are as a person and never forget that. And so with, when she said that, right, it didn't really mean anything until, you know, after the hundredth time you get hammered by somebody, you know, calling you names. But, but because she did tell me I was going to get hammered, I was kind of expecting it. And they do. And I'm okay with that. They should. Because if they don't do that, what else are they going to say? They're going to have nothing else to say. Because Lord knows, when you look at the therapist, for example, the doctor, and uh, Tiffany telling him she was going to die, and he says he's going to watch it with her. I think the state of Oregon has a legal and moral obligation to investigate that. Unless they're in a cult, then why, why wouldn't they? Or why would they, right? Um, he says, mm -hmm. don't tell me anything or it makes you a target, and targets get shot at first. I think, personally, that therapists shouldn't tell their $200 an hour customers they're going to get shot if they tell anybody about yeah. what's going on. And when they have a childhood trauma, rape, torture, abuse, whatever it is, and they say, forget about your childhood, there should probably be somebody in the state office that says, you know what, we get paid to investigate, John, we're going to do that. But what they did instead was they said, you know what, we're not going to investigate because you said it's a conspiracy theory. I said, that's what they said, not me. I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Nice try. I don't believe in the Illuminati. I don't believe in any of this. I'm just telling you the doctor said, whatever this person is, here's his words, right? Well, let me tell you, this person, he's not even worth thinking about. This is about me. And Tiffany says, how do you know that? This person can save the world. <laughs> so, she loved me and I love her, and I'm glad that I got these recordings, but I also have an obligation to make sure that um, the state does their job because they got paid taxpayer money to do it. And when somebody talks about dark angels, demons, and death, um, the state should be looking into him. Yeah, yeah, and I do uh, – I got to re reiterate too that I appreciate the fact that you keep bringing up the point of it's not your story, it's hers. I just personally don't think there was much justice done here with some of the people involved, some of the authorities. That's very typical of powerful people. When they're able to put a restraining order on me with lies, and I have proof that they lie because um, I'm the one they sent 300 pages of my stolen emails from. But uh, when you have the power to lie and cover up a murder, and when the strong public who has no vested interest in this case doesn't care that's when you know we're in america that really is in trouble 
America is founded on the idea that you do care about each other and you do care, period. And when somebody tells you not to care, it should be offensive. And um, when I was told legally to shut up, I don't appreciate that. It, it's very offensive, but I would just say this. Um, it is not my story. It is Tiffany's. And when they make it my story, it's for one reason only, and that is to shut me up about her murder. And I'm not going to because I don't have to, and they don't have that power over me. But they certainly have had that power over a lot of people for many years. I find it offensive and appalling. And that's when the regular public that doesn't believe in conspiracy theories, they don't have to. They just have to ask themselves, should people get away with murder? And if the answer is no, then they have to be uh, a champion of Tiffany, not me. Uh, her case is the one that's not solved, not me. So therefore, I, I, and I totally appreciate those people who are strong and able to do their job, which is to help Tiffany, who's dead, because she can't. Exactly. And the fact that you had three random people coming in from out of town on the same night and the same time, and they pick a random woman, supposedly, and murder her, Where's the, I, I don't understand the, uh, the logic in that. I mean, I guess I don't understand how that's not really premeditation. I mean, I understand how plea agreements work. I get that. Da, 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 da. But the other two people that were involved really didn't get, get that much. They got a slap on the wrist. Well, you, you can't get a plea agreement from uh, conspiracy to commit murder to, so either these two people that got away with murder are involved or they're not. Now, the reason why everybody wants to badmouth me and hide this case is because there's more people involved, clearly. These people were paid to kill her, 100%, guaranteed. I was set up under murder to be the killer. And when you step back and you look at the facts, which, of course, nobody has them all. I have them all. I always believe this. Once a liar, always a liar. And if any of the uh, family or the police or any DA or uh, it doesn't matter who, Rick, anybody, wants to discuss the case, I have absolutely no problem talking to them, like you've said in your, your prior uh, show, is that I want to talk to them. I will pay the money to talk to them. Now, me and Rick Lovett have talked, and people can listen to that on my YouTube. John is Captain and Rick Lovett. They can listen to my recordings, and they can evaluate what they think is true or what's not true. The bottom line is this. If you have all these people with all that power, and they can't support their truth of the story, the they tend to, to, they write really well, which I don't, so that's, uh, I'm at a disadvantage. But once you start to see that the police are 100% lying in this case, it, it would make it very difficult to move on because you're thinking to yourself, well, if the police are willing to lie about the murder, who am I supposed to go to, right? There's nobody else. And I went to my senator. They said, well, we don't handle murder. Okay, well, who does? I don't know. You go to the FBI and they, they don't handle murder. Well, who does? State police. They're the ones that are lying. And so getting back to the idea that, um, Michelle and Josh were paid money. It's a conspiracy to commit murder. Those two pointed the finger at the shooter, who told the truth, who asked for a lawyer three times or four times and he should have got one. In fact, in the ID Discovery show, the police said he didn't really ask about a lawyer and he just kind of hinted at one. No, actually, he said, will you guys quit interrupting me? I want a lawyer. That was that clear. But they said that lie. And then they said, well, you know, and, and Mr. Captain wanted a, uh, uh, well, they called me Bill Ryan in the show. He wanted a, uh, uh, a warrant for the video. Well, I would have to believe that those two men with guns that come to investigate a murder, if I said to them, I have evidence of murder, and they don't get a warrant for it, sh they should be fired. They have an obligation to society to get a warrant and get that video if it's involved in a murder. Now, if you give them time, what they'll do is they'll just massage the story to fit the narrative they need. 
every single fact I ever told since day one, they came up with a reason. And in fact, one of the saddest ones, and they can Google this, Tiffany Jenks crying for help on my YouTube. So she calls me crying for help because she's going to die. It goes into my voicemail because I had her blocked at that time and because we weren't dating and I, we weren't talking much. And it went, to, it went to voicemail that was a new setup by Apple. Excuse me. And uh, so it was a voicemail that I got. And um, she's crying for help like she's going to die. Now, what did the police and the family do? They made up this big, long story how Tiffany was trying to check into a hotel, and they wouldn't give her a room, so she called me crying for help because the police were going to come to the hotel where she tried to check in. I said, you guys are such liars. I, I dare anybody that listens to your show, just Google that, Tiffany Jenks crying for help. You can't possibly tell me that you believe this is Tiffany that is actually trying to check into a hotel. She is crying for her life. And it's upsetting and, and, and actually offensive that they would even make up a story. But every single time I had a fact that was brought forward that was either learned or had, they made up a false narrative to match. Now, I can see that. And why do you, your personal opinion, why do you think her family is like that? Because in, in my previous episode, we did touch on the fact of where her father was working. Yeah. Uh, Los Alamos for a while. And the fact that Tiffany had a pretty legit job she was not a not a dumb person you know yeah for much lack smarter of a better than me term. yeah she was very smart yeah. she had a lot of degrees and <laughs> she was yeah, very smart yeah totally. she had a lot of degrees and i think maybe some people within her i know that when she came home one time with straight a's she told me that her mom said you think you're better than everybody else and i thought that's weird but uh there there seemed to be some friction there um around the family and and how close her dad was to tiffany which was kind of um into other issues but bottom line was that you have people that are claiming that Tiffany had, well, well, here's an example. Tiffany's family said she was happy about life and the role she would play in her future. And here's her picture. And they put up this picture of her blonde hair, long hair. I said to her sister, that's not Tiffany. It said a week ago in Pendleton, Oregon. No, it wasn't. She didn't have her hair extensions in. So then they changed it to a month ago. And then I said, no, it wasn't. That was like a year and a half ago. And it was before I met her, right? When I met her, she had just taken her extensions out. And so I was like, tell her sister, why are you lying? And it was in my mind. I'm like, why are they lying about her happiness? And so y you look at each thing and you go, okay, well, they set up for donations right away, which, okay, fine. They, they, they have a 3,000-acre ranch with an airplane. I don't think they need money. And then at the same time, they're claiming that they never met me, but we did meet. That's weird. Her sister and me met twice because she came here once to get the clues, and she came here uh, with her sister when her sister was here. And then they said that I beat her up with a crowbar or some nonsense like that. I said, well, that's weird. Um, why don't we take a lie detector test? I'll pay for it. And then you can, I just want to ask you one question. Did you lie about the murder? And if it, that's all, and you can ask me 20 questions if you want, no problem. But uh, I'm certainly not a good person. I'm not the best person, but I do know this, that if her dad works at Los Alamos and she says she's a mind control victim, and a doctor puts her in a mind control by going tap, 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 follow the Elbic Road, and then she falls into some kind of weird trance or whatever you want to call it, what is it? Yeah. I don't know because I'm not in a cult, but I guarantee you one thing. I never in my life, I'm 53, I never in my life ever here in Portland, Oregon, heard of this trance where people fall into some kind of a, a, a rambling. Do you know who I am? Wait a minute. That was her doctor, right? Tiffany's saying that. Do you know who I am? Yeah. I don't know who you are. You can hear her. She's confused. And he goes in and says, uh, like a smart, smart aleck, and he's like, forget who you are as a child and, and all these different things. I think the state of Oregon should have investigated him because he'll probably do it again. And uh, the next person that says they're going to die, he'll say, well, then why are you here? Well, because she's going to therapy because she's going to die. You might want to call police, right? That's your obligation, not mine. Yeah. And um, 
So I don't know. I, I don't understand how it is that on one side, they're supposed to be good people, but on the other side, they don't want to tell me who the doctor is because she paid on her credit card. They know exactly who the doctor is. And if it is this other Jonathan Shell person who wrote a book about demons, right? Let's bring them on the air. Let's hear the voice. I, in fact, I said, I said, hey, I'll pay him $500 to read my first chapter of my first book. Have him come on over. Oh, but I'm sure he wouldn't want to do that now, would he? Because it's not him. They're not good liars. And the public will see that quick, quickly. The comment game of, Rick, tell us a story about why it is this. Why is John Chapman so adamant that it's this doctor and not that one? Well, because I did my investigation before they ever came up with this fake story. And, and by, by the way, $500. If the doctor wants to come on over and have a talk for two minutes, only, I only take me two minutes to verify his voice. And then I'll know that they were right. And I'll announce it to the world. They were right. It was Jonathan Shell, and he wrote a book about demons. That's Tiffany's doctor. But until then, I think they're lying. Dude, I mean, those recordings, when, when I heard them the first time, when I sent them to my co-host for that episode, when I played them on that episode, people were terrified. They're like, what in the hell kind of doctor is this? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know specifically what kind of doctor. I don't really care. When somebody is tapping and saying, follow the yellow brick road and saying when somebody is going to be a target, that's not right. Something's not right there. Right. Exactly. And and for people that want to know, you can go to uh, John S. Captain YouTube and just type in therapist and listen to the doctor or maybe even John S. Captain Dr. Tiffany Jenks, something like that. Um, and I have YouTube, you know, it's just a not-for-profit one. And then you can listen to the doctor because I didn't want to put that on I, by the way, I didn't want to put that on YouTube because that's her personal talks, right? And that's upsetting. But I only have yeah, one goal, sure. which is justice for Tiffany. And I never did put it all on the air. They told me, her family said, why don't you put it all on there? And I said, well, if that's what you want, fine. That's what I'll do. But I never had originally, I didn't put it all on there. I just put it a tiny bit. But the doctor in itself proved that something is really wrong in this case. And then, uh, and let me say one other thing too, is that here, here is, Tiffany's father's uh, obituary, and there was a big question about whether Tiffany's family is involved in R.J. Reynolds. And so on his obituary, which was posted November 2012, it says here, um, it basically that her family's related to R.J. Reynolds, and they, they were related because her dad was roommates with the president, president's son of R.J. Reynolds Tobacco. But I know that in another sto- a show that Rick says that well, I didn't know that they were related, and not related, but related, but not family, but to R.J. Reynolds. I said, well, it's on their obituary. You can read it yourself. It says that he was roommate with the president of R.J. Reynolds' son, or the owner of R.J. Reynolds, R.J. Reynolds being one of the 12 bloodlines. And, um, you know, all that stuff about cults and different things, that really shouldn't matter because this is a murder. And um, the story will tell itself once people engage in the idea that this doctor and these killers have so far gotten away with everything they want to do. Let's talk a little bit about her drinking habit and when her father died, because a lot of people point back to when her father died is when it started getting really, really serious. Do you agree with that? Well, I know that when I met her, that she was, had been for quite some time and on an extremely long, extremely long list of pills. And I told her, Tiffany, you had $192,000 for the medical in one year for your insurance. I can't even know you. I can't even know somebody. My mom lives on $600 a month, right? And I can't even know you if you have that much. What in the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, I mean, I was just absurd. I never, I mean, I've been a doctor like three times in my life. And here's in one year, 192,000 medical. 
whatever you've got going on, I can't even know you so much, right? And so she stopped all her medication. She stopped her pills that were trying to kill her, and she became human again. But the idea that she was not okay before I met her is, is positively for sure because she was comatose to the point where, you know, you could see it in her eyes that she wasn't present in, the, in, the, uh, in her life. And so she, and she had 12 suicide attempts during that 11-month period while she was at Rick's, Rick's home because that's just based on date. And then he told me she was out of town that, he was out of town that year. Well, okay, fine, but you still knew she was going to the emergency room to die. 12 times during that 11 month yeah. period where you were, she was at your home. And when I went to move her out, um, she had beer cans everywhere and bottles of pills for days. And he says it was a sober home. So I think something's missing there. Um, and it was missing when he called the police on me and said that I stole his daddy's will. I said, well, first of all, Rick, you know, that's not true. You're a liar. And second of all, I have my own money and I don't steal, but I sure as heck wouldn't steal your daddy's money. What I did do though was delete your account out of her cell phone once. And that's what I told him. And then he said, I must have, uh, found his dad's will in his drawers at his house or something when I went there. But, uh, and he called the police, which is weird. But yeah, it was two. But like when they called the police many times on me, I'm like, what in the heck is going on? Oh, police kept coming here, right? Why? Oh, okay. I found out later. They're calling the police on me. And then later they gave it to the judge and says, well, the police had been to his house many times. Yeah, because you called them. You called the police on me. And then you tell the judge it had been there many times. I'm like, you guys are insane. But at the time, as it was, it was happening, I didn't really know why they were calling the police because the police weren't telling me the truth and they weren't giving me the police reports but when i did finally get them i read it i went oh my god you guys are nuts but they're dirty too they are dirty they will call the police and flat out lie one guy said that uh, in a police report um that he turned in john said he's going to shoot babies i'm like what in the heck and this is a police report this is an actual police report and when you read it you're like these people are really bad. You know, this was a different person, but this is a Bill Martin that turned it in. But uh, these people will write stuff in order to build over time the idea that you're crazy. Then when you go down to the police station, you're like, can I get a copy of these police reports? They're like, nope. What do you mean? No. Four times I went down to Portland Police. I have the report here. Four times I went down and they said, exempt, 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 and one was sent. And the one sent, of course, is like, I had my car broke into or something, right? But they don't give me my own police reports. And I think, that's, I think that should be illegal. People shouldn't be able to write police reports unless they give you a copy. But I guess that's the way it goes. So, so tell us a little bit about some of these people that you have met since Tiffany's death. And like going back to the confirmation, um, I mean, are there large groups of people just kind of in the shadows that all have the same the same mindset about you know, the uh, Project Monarch, MK Ultra. I, I got to ask too, are, have you personally met some that you're just like, you know what, I think you're actually crazy, you know, but then also meet others that it's like, yeah, that's exactly what was happening. Yeah, well, people that are mind control victims or monarch slaves, they, they have a very particular um, situation in their lives and there's no comparison to anybody else or anything. So you're not going to meet People that are crazy are just crazy. You know, that's totally different. People who are mind control victims, they have a connection to the U.S. government. Usually they have some formal um, connection to a satanic cult. They won't tell you that they do initially. But if you talk to them over time, like, for example, one of the people that they um, sent here as a honeypot, if you will, um, was a girl named Drew. And during the time in which she was around me, she would say things because we were investigating Tiffany's case, and she would say things that would allude to the idea that she was, but at the time I didn't know what that was yet. I had learned. 
And, you know, they talk about usually they were locked up in some kind of a government institution. They were sexually abused as a child and, and quite possibly in a government institution. And a lot of that trauma, they are fearful for their lives. And there's also key things that are known to them where they're deathly afraid. And so all these things culminate into an idea that there's something different about these people. And also, I, I don't mean to be rude, but um, they are sexually different too, by the way. And that's key because a lot of people would think, well, how do you know these certain things? You know, But the things that they have been through in life make them different than anybody else. And, I, and I'm not trying to be a smart ass about it. I just want people to know because over time, there's like a hundred things you could know about a person in terms of their past. And also all these things in addition, like they're usually missing time. They usually have, um, they don't sleep with heat on at night. Like when I said they're missing time, like, like every Monday and Tuesday, they'll just like disappear. They don't know why. And you know, at the time you're like, you don't know why. Some of them have been to places like the Bahamas, certain places um, that they have uh, different um, mind control programs there. A lot of the mind control programs are um, weight loss clinics and um, uh, mental hospitals, prisons. And when the cults took over that program, well, keep in mind, it's not a, it's not a machine. It's a, a abuse. It's just a system of, uh, of breaking somebody down. They had used, uh, you hear about this with Britney Spears, you hear about the, the, the abuse based on um, different Disney movies. That's just the storyline that their abuse is predicated on. And I've, I've been to many conferences where there were hundreds of mind control victims in, in London and different, uh, in, in, in Europe, it's called a coercive, coercive, uh, I forgot the name, but uh, basically what I'm saying is that these, these people have traits that are specific to them, and if you talk to them where they're um, not thinking in advance, if you say to them, okay, what is a Disney movie that you hate or love, and you ask it, just answer the question, and then you ask questions about that after you look up that particular code, you can actually try to decipher some of the stuff that they've um, been programmed with, but in terms of decoding them or trying to um, you know, access their programming, that's not going to happen. And it's dangerous, I would think, anyways. But, but yeah, as far as like meeting them, I think that they all have uh, like traits. And it's not possible that they um, have spoken to each other. Like, you have new ones coming out every day that are just saying, okay, well, why was Britney Spears shaving her head and, and acting all crazy and, and then having these different traits that, that the other mind victims had as well, the Disney type stuff. And there's several websites that people can go to um, that will clinically explain cases. In fact, this lady has done some reports on Tiffany's case. Or Actually, I don't even know if it's a lady or a man. I shouldn't say that because I don't know. But, uh, and it's, it's called unwelcome-ozian.tumblr.com. So it's okay. UN welcome. So UN welcome dash ozian.tumblr.com. And so from that, you can search about different mind control, whatever is like follow the Elbrick Road, for example. Um, but this is a very clinical site. They're very, um, like when somebody asks them, do you know about Tiffany? They ask, why do you ask? You know, I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't get involved with the guy, like you said, the guy that they just wouldn't even entertain talking to him because they already know the whole story. They're only there to badmouth John so they get away with this case. If they were an investigator, then wouldn't they call me to get the clues? No, of course they wouldn't, right? I, I mean, because I, I got all the time in the world. <laughs> I did. I told that person <laughs> they contacted me, and they just said a bunch of big words, and then, you know, sure. basically just, like I said, continued to just talk down about you. You're crazy, this, that, sure. and the other. Like I had previously mentioned in the episode and before recording with you, I straight up said I – 
you know, here's the deal. If, if you're supposedly a private investigator and you could not find my email on the internet, <laughs> how, yeah. what does that say about yeah. how, how good you are at your job? Yeah. Like you had to contact the woman who came on as a guest host and now yeah. she's scared shitless. Right. And I said, you just direct this person towards me. I'll take care sure. of it. Sure, and right. when I emailed him back, Hey, I, I told him, I said, dude, John has provided me like nothing he has said is, you know, libel. Nothing is, everything he said was fact. He provided the documentation. He provided the video. He provided the pictures. So where are we at here? You know, because yeah. all you're doing is just talking a bunch of crap. So right. that's pretty much where I was at with it. <laughs> that's crazy that I've never, ever seen these people talk about the killers. If your daughter was shot in the exactly. head and left for dead, right? Would you talk about the killer yeah. ever? Ever? I mean, come on. John, the ex-boyfriend, who's crazy, 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 has a completely different narrative. His narrative is that the doctor that saw Tiffany four days before she was dead is not listed in her visa charges. But, but why is that, police? Well, we don't know. Well, can you find out why? Because I really want to know why you put the fourth on there, but not him. She was on there the same day. October 4th, and her charge for $200 for her therapy session should be there. And that begins down the rabbit hole. Why did the police not yeah. want me to know the doctor's name? And did this other guy that they told me it was, did he really write a book? And his voice is on YouTube, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, that, that uh, mind control <laughs> site is um, really a very good site to understand anything you want to know about mind control. And the importance of mind control really is that Heck, if you could send somebody into a place and they could just murder JFK or maybe kill Martin Luther King or John Lennon or, you know, any of these weird cases where you're like, we didn't know what happened. There's lots of uses that they have. And, and it's odd, too, by the way, that Tiffany knew one of the senators here in Oregon and was at his house one time and told me, I'm at the senator's son's house. I'm like, that's weird. Now, looking back now, like you said about looking back, that's weird because senators make up every yeah. decision in our country. So we're really all vested in this idea. And you can go to the uh, CIA.gov website and read about um, the MKUltra program. And once you start to get the idea that it's possible, then you can come up with, there's a million uses for them to actually send somebody to run the dam so that they could profit off of it while we're all paying higher rates. That's possible. No, absolutely. I think now would probably be a good break in the interview. For those of you who don't know, me and John are going to go at it again. And we're going to entertain questions from any of you or whatever the case might be in the second part. So, John, before we cut out, would you like to give some of your some of your information? Uh, I know you mentioned a WordPress and your and your YouTube channel. Yeah, I have Facebook, which is just hashtag Tiffany Jenks murder because they have as far as John Captain, they must have made like 500 different pages for me, which are not mine, but John S. Captain or John Captain. And then the YouTube also, John is Captain. And you'll see because you just type in and it'll all come up. But hey, while you're asking people to ask questions, let's invite that investigator has so much information about the murder on and anybody else that right. has information. All you got to do is give us your ID and the therapist will give you $1,000. All you got to do is show up at John's place and then um, you can just be on live with me here and yeah. we can all talk. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, it's I don't think I will never believe that it's an open and shut case the way that they say it is, because there's just too much going on. That's for yeah. sure. The regular public gets a hold of this and they will actually flip out. They just don't get it yet. And that's because it's just not out there yet. You know, enough. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time out, man, to talk to me and getting a hold of me and stuff. So I do yes, appreciate thank that. Thank you very much.
Yeah, talk to no problem. I think I'm probably one of the few podcasts that actually still has the Tiffany Jenks episode up, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the public needs to remember that and share it. Like I said, I appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks so much. go over some reviews here oh here we go this one should be good i have no time to respond to this i got uh sm havoc smavic one star bland probably should write a script before you start recording you owe the listener quick and where do you get your research internet put a little more effort if you're gonna publish these the fuck does that even mean Everybody gets their research from the fucking internet, you dumbass. Hey, anytime you want to come out here and do better, first of all, I'm not going to write a script because all these thousands of fucking listeners I have like the fact that I do not have a script, which is fucking awesome. Obviously, you can't fucking read because right there in my show description, there's this cool thing that says unscripted. Maybe you should really think about the one-star review you're going to leave before you actually hit that fucking publish button or whatever you're going to do. All right, next one, we got five stars. P-V-B-B-E-E. Oh, wait, hold on a second. SM Havoc, actually. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a screenshot of this one-star review, and then I'm going to put it in my Facebook group. So everybody can make fun of how stupid you are. And I'm literally doing this while I'm talking right now as well. Which is going to be really, really funny when I wake up in the morning. Just to see what everybody has to say about that. Oh, and by the way, SM Havoc, one of the cool things about when you leave reviews is everybody gets to look up all the other reviews that you've left everywhere else with that username. But anyway, yeah, we're going to go ahead and post that in the group. Tomorrow morning should be fun when I wake up and get to read all the comments about this. Seen that review before. Maybe I'll just look this up real quick. All that It's funny because all that comes up is like dating sites. But yeah, something pops up for quiz pranks. How do you start dating a friend? Oh, SM Havoc actually uh, had a comment on that. Uh, is Caleb Sky OnlyFans good? Looks like SM Havoc had something to say about that as well. So good lord, man. What kind of shit are you into? Man, I could have a lot of fun right now, but here's the deal. Somebody with iTunes is going to look up every single review that you ever left. Oh, wait. Actually, before we go, <laughs> comments started rolling in on this. Kirsty Smith says, ha ha ha, what a fucktard. Does she not understand you are a conversationalist podcaster, meaning no fucking script? 
I also feel you put a hell of a lot of research into your pods, dumbass. Moving on now. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsty. <laughs> I love it, dude. Because I, uh, you know, I just like pissing people off. And sometimes all they can do is uh, leave me one-star reviews. All right. So anyway, going back to the other reviews. Five stars, PVBBE. <laughs> says I like it. I listen to tons of podcasts. And while this is definitely... A bit rough around the edges. I really liked it. The audio could be improved, but uh, that would take uh, money, which means ads, so I'm cool with it, and actually appreciate it. And there's nothing that really grates on my nerves about it. I've listened to some very well-funded, more professional podcasts where the host is eating or has an annoying speech habit pattern that I couldn't even listen to stop nothing at all to hate on here. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I'm not sure which episode. Uh, last couple of years, I think my audio has been pretty good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I upgraded quite a while ago. Uh, but maybe you're listening to some old episodes, but that's all right. But either way, I do take that as a compliment. Thank you very, very much. Uh, what do we got here? Two stars out of five. Oh, this one is fun. This one is fun. This one I actually got the other day, so I had a chance to post it in the... Uh, <laughs> I got a chance to post it in the Facebook group, and uh, this is two out of five stars. I appreciate the pity star there, and it's from Willful Green, bored. If the host reader is bored, how can we be anything else? Childish criticism, pretentious, working class hero. All right, now I read that to you just the way it is written on here because some people apparently do not believe in punctuation, and I mean, that's cool i guess in their little worlds i don't know but uh you know punctuation is a thing it really really helps and by the way like calling me a pretentious working class hero kind of an oxymoron if you uh, obviously you're smart super smart so you know exactly what that is but here's the deal like working class hero i take that as a huge compliment because yeah i do go back and forth to work at least 40 hours a week to provide for my kids I still do this podcast on the side. So, yeah, working class hero is a pretty huge compliment. I appreciate it. And you know what's even more pretentious than me being a uh, working class hero, apparently, is the fact that you think people give a fuck what you have to say about their podcast. Because here's the fun part about it. We actually went through and looked up some of your other reviews. <laughs> my buddy Kevin Carlton says not one comma this motherfucker like I said man this fucking review had no punctuation whatsoever which is amazing <laughs> Nikki says the reviewer needs a good dick punch and then the response to that was it's probably tucked in <laughs> thanks Bill for the quick comeback on that one I do appreciate it Probably, of course, I said I was like, probably a true crime podcaster that's mad. I called out the true crime genre for what it is. To be honest with you, that was probably that other one-star review, the one that I literally just got after I talked shit about the true crime genre about two hours ago. <laughs> I can imagine that. This is the good stuff. Um, somebody showed, what is it, some podcast called West Cork. I've never heard of it. Personally, I don't listen to very many podcasts. And, uh, you know, it's a one-star review. Yes, it's professional, yet this isn't a story about murder. It's about a guy some people think did it, the Irish police. And, like, this dude's punctuation is so fucked up. Oh, here we go. 
Um, apparently, old Willful Green here is really, really into organization and cleaning podcasts. Personally, I always thought that was kind of a visual type deal, but apparently not for Willful Green because they're super fucking smart. Can't really figure out how people get old, ex- experience life, have children, yet still not understand that people are different, brains are different. Organized is not one meaning, blah. Aren't mean, just dim. What the fuck does that even mean, dude? Alright, let's see what else we got here. Because I know I got a couple other interesting ones. Oh, and by the way, uh, Willful Green and SM Havoc. Not everybody can be an artist, but everybody can be a fucking critic. That's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, it's a sad situation. If you can make a better podcast, do it. If not, shut the fuck up. Oh, we got uh, five stars from Mindy. This is from Mindy Hull. She is a a new patron, and I actually messaged her and thanked her for this because I actually know who she (laughs) actually know who she is. A very intriguing podcast in which the host Justin discusses various topics from history to, to true crime. I greatly appreciate how he truly dedicates his time and hard work into researching the subject. What caught my eye at first was the series he did on Wyatt Earp. Always found that type of Western history fascinating, and the connection to my late dad being from Dodge City, Kansas, where Earp had once been a lawman at. Anyhow, I listen to the podcast most evenings as I am catching up on all the episodes now and make it part of my routine listening to the podcast cleaning up the house during the evening. His voice has a calming effect, like that resembling that of Robert Redford's in the film The Horse Whisperer. Justin has that kind of great effect on people and provides a very caring Facebook group page where fellow listeners can connect and support one another. This review is coming from a picky redhead, so if I love it, then you all certainly most will appreciate it as well. And Mindy, like I said, I messaged you to thank you for this, so... I do appreciate that very, very much. Uh, This one is five stars, TFMJ, Tiffany Jenks Murder Podcast. The review left about the case by some other person said you did not go into the case. How could they know there was more if they did not have a part of this case? The case is exactly how you told it, and I respect anyone who is willing to tell the truth when so many are not. And thank you very much for that. And actually, that's why I wanted to read these reviews at the end of this because there is a another one here says five stars listen to all of them says interested researched well just please cut out or cut down all the f's basically all the fucks and shits your early podcast didn't have them it detracts from your work now i get that i really do but here's the deal it's hit or miss some episodes i cuss some episodes i do not I understand my early podcasts, like, I don't know which early ones you're referring to. I've been doing this for over five years, like, legitimately almost five and a half years now. So that could be a wide range of things. And I understand, like, thank you for giving me five stars. Trust me, I do appreciate that greatly. The thing about it is, still to this day, I put a disclaimer for language and content at the beginning of the episode. I know in the early episodes I did not do that. But I also still, in the podcast description, in all caps, surrounded by asterisks, it says explicit language. And, I mean, if you're a long-time listener, that's totally cool. I understand. But, like, 
if you're a longtime listener, you should know that it's hit or miss. Like some I do, some I don't, you know, I apologize. I apologize, I guess. But I mean, another five star one, two, one, six, six, four says, wow, thanks for your pod. I love it. Oh, what else we got? Okay. This is what the other review was referring to. One star Jayhawk CT. Not well done. I was looking forward to the series, but was so disappointed in the very first episode, Jenks, I listened to and couldn't finish. It was all over the place and difficult to follow. The story needs much more linear approach, and starting with at least a small bio or background on the victim would have been a big difference. I got so frustrated and wound up looking up the story myself online. Good job. I got so frustrated, blah, blah, blah. Another side note, work on the grammar. Me and her should be she and I. Her and Josh, she and Josh. It takes away from the credibility of the host. <laughs> this was a fun one when I post when I posted it in the uh, Facebook group because, first of all, I bet you, you are really fun at parties if you're going to uh, attack grammar like that. Okay, like I, I can imagine you being the person that like goes to KFC, like Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then starts bitching that they have chicken in there, you know, and you can't order a salad, you know what I'm saying? You're probably one of those people. Here's the deal with the Tiffany Jenks case. You cannot take a straight linear approach. Here's how storytelling works. There was a small bio, okay, at the beginning. Like, I don't know what, how in-depth of a bio you want me to do, like, on Tiffany Jenks. Like, do you want me to go all the way back to her childhood? Because we told the details of the case, okay? And because there's so much other stuff involved, usually as a storyteller, when you're going in a linear fashion, you come to certain reference points. When you hit those points, that's when you retract back and add context to what you are currently talking about within that reference point. That's how storytelling works. And obviously, you're a pro. You're probably a way better storyteller than I am. But here's the deal. like I cannot wait for you to put out a podcast because, like I said thousands of times, not everybody can be an artist, but everybody sure as fuck can be a critic, right? But here's the deal, like, there are certain cases and certain episodes, you cannot do a straight linear timeline. It's impossible. Like, did you expect me to start back in the 1940s when these projects started and then move up? Because the, the episode was about Tiffany Jenks' death and the weird things surrounding it. It wasn't a about... We're going to start back here in the 40s, make our way up to 2008. That's not how that story should be played out because the story and the episode was about Tiffany. That's why when you come to those certain reference points, you add the context of prior knowledge or whatever projects that the conspiracy theories are based on, this, that, and the other. Now... Nobody else had a problem following this episode, and the reason I know that is because it is literally the most downloaded episode this podcast has ever done. Like, of all my episodes that I have, the Tiffany Jenks episode is by far the most downloaded. I don't know why. People get into that case, which it's fine. I, obviously, I do too. But at the same time, like, you're the only single person that had a problem 
following the storyline or had a problem with the grammar. You took like what, an hour and a half long episode, picked out four words, and my grammar's gone, my credibility's gone. At this point, kind of thinking your credibility's gone. So there's that. Go, here's another one. Uh, this one's five stars. Bemis Duckworth says, you rock, man. I stayed until the end of 728's episode to listen to your special announcement. I appreciate your uh, candor and your honesty. I jumped into the podcast somewhere in the middle, so I'm looking forward to going back to the beginning to listen. In the meantime, uh, you are extremely relatable and your voice alone is sufficient enough to carry your podcasts without the drama some other ones come with. I think everything will be fine in whichever endeavor you choose. You will succeed. Take care, man. Duckworth. Dude, I appreciate that. Damn it. I like that review. That was legit. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to to leave that review. I appreciate it. The next one we got is five stars. Honest Abby. It says, do it. Love your podcast. Go back to roots. All good. Real shit. Thanks. Well, Honest Abby, thank you. <laughs> and that is the plan. That is definitely the plan. This one, we got five stars. Kimba125, love the show. Please tell Jess I miss her, Kimmy. Not 100% sure I understand that. I know two Jesses, and both of them, ironically enough, are podcasters. We got Jess from Asian Madness. Jess from uh, She's Booze and Tattoos, who's currently on hiatus. Um, I mean, you could probably email her and tell her yourself i guess i mean yeah we've done a i think like two or three episodes together and stuff and we are friends but yeah i mean i appreciate the five stars though thank you but um i mean her email is available i'm sure you could email her but anyway we got uh five stars tmt 62015 my favorite podcast love the podcast never go to sleep without you keep up the great work and thanks and I wasn't sure if I read that one before, but <laughs> um, but if not, thank you very, very much. And uh, we have nothing new from the UK, um, nothing new from Australia, and let's hit Canada real fast before we call it a night. Nothing new from Canada. So, that being said, everybody have a good night. Thank you very much. Love you guys, and I will catch you on the next one.